The people want us to get things done. A frustrated President Biden on a rough election night for Democrats. COVID shots now underway for kids and big gains on the jobs front. The unemployment rate drops again. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports. It's Friday, November 5th. Take Tuesday's election out of the equation, and the week really wasn't so bad for President Biden. There was good news on the vaccination front, very good news on the jobs front, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you can't ignore what happened on Tuesday, election night. Biden won Virginia easily a year ago by 10 points, and many Democrats seem to assume that their candidate for governor, Terry McAuliffe, would win. After all, he was a former governor, and the state did really well on his watch, ranked number one best state in the country for business by CNBC, for example. It was the jobs machine, crime was low, and more. But those assumptions went up in smoke as Glenn Youngkin, a 54-year-old former private equity executive, won, as did GOP candidates for lieutenant governor and attorney general. Republicans also took the state house, though not the Senate. Now, President Biden, as politicians do, is putting the best spin on this he can. And no governor in Virginia has ever won when he's of the same or he or she's the same party as the sitting president. Well, that may be so, but what's interesting is what the president did not say, namely that his own popularity has fallen in a state he won easily, which suggests trouble for the much bigger midterm elections that are now a year away. But the president does acknowledge that Americans are frustrated with the way things are going. People are upset and uncertain about a lot of things, from COVID to school to jobs to a whole range of things and the cost of the, the, a gallon of gasoline. And so if I'm able to pass signing the law, my Build Back Better initiative, I'm in a position where you're going to see a lot of those things ameliorated quickly and swiftly. So that has to be done. Jill Lawrence is a columnist for USA Today. I asked her this. Well, Democrats went into it knowing there was a chance they'd lose, even though Terry McAuliffe is a former Democratic governor and had won before, actually, and beat the odds by winning, I believe it was 2013, while there was a Democrat in the White House, which usually doesn't happen in Virginia. And um, uh, he was running in a state that Biden had won by 10 points last year, but the polls really tightened up at the end. And so Democrats were anticipating this might be um, a bad surprise for them. And it was. The problem that's larger than Virginia is that Glenn Youngkin is not a full-fledged Donald Trump acolyte, but he played footsie with Trump and his allies and his lies throughout the campaign and his racial appeals. And so there were elements of this there, and uh, no one really knows what he's going to be like as a governor. You know, he 
it seems like he's going to roll back a lot of what uh, the Democrats managed to accomplish in the last couple of years in Virginia. And, and I hope that doesn't include voting. It, it may not, because ironically, all of the steps the Democrats took to expand uh, early voting, mail-in voting, um, Terry McAuliffe himself uh, gave the vote back to former felons who had served their time and, and done their, that paid their debt. You know, that helped Republicans this time. They turned out. It was tough in New Jersey, too, where Democrat Phil Murphy, the incumbent governor, won, but just barely. Apparently, he's the first Democrat to be reelected to office since 1977. It's just a rarity. And um, and so, you know, New Jersey is where Chris Christie was governor. It's not an overall Democratic state. It tends to go back and forth. And so... You know, the environment that I described is the same in New Jersey as it is in Virginia, the national environment on schools and the pandemic and uh, worries about, uh, you know, will I get the Christmas gifts that I need for my kids? You know, will I be able to see my family at Thanksgiving without, you know, turning into a COVID hotspot? There's just things going on that... um, that are larger than Democrats. I do think Democrats have a lot of work to do in terms of defining themselves uh, outside of the legislative process that's been going on. Process is a kind word for the last few months. So what's all this mean for Donald Trump and for the big midterms coming up in 2022? We'll talk about that in a minute, but I do want to get to some of the other news from this week. Today's a great day for American parents and American families and American children. We've taken a giant step forward to further accelerate our path out of this pandemic. After months of rigorous and independent scientific review, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, authorized, and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, recommended a COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 through 11. For parents all over this country, this is a day of relief and celebration. 28 million kids can now be protected against COVID. The president says the government has bought enough vaccines for all of them. In anticipation of this, the administration asked states weeks ago to organize their own distribution systems for schools, doctor's offices, and so forth. It's important to mention, though, that there's no mandate here. 17 states have passed laws or issued directives banning states from requiring students to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Good news on the jobs front, 531,000 jobs added to the economy in October, the unemployment rate falling to 4.6%. The Labor Department data shows big gains in manufacturing, leisure, and hospitality, all signs that the economy continues to open up as COVID cases go down. Some other things that caught my attention this week, there were so many storms in the Atlantic Ocean this year that the National Hurricane Center actually ran out of names for them. The National Hurricane Center has been naming storms since 1953. You can decide for yourself whether this has anything to do with climate change. Meantime, here's something else to chew on. The production of corn could fall by nearly 25% over the next eight years 
because of changes to weather patterns. So it says NASA after a long study, it says rising temperatures and changes in rainfall patterns appear to be the culprits. By the way, corn is America's biggest crop and about a third of it goes to feed cattle, hogs, and chickens. If the supply of corn goes down, the prices of beef, pork, and chicken could go up. They call this supply and demand. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. Let's come back now to Tuesday's election for a second. Donald Trump, the former president, is taking credit for Glenn Youngkin's big win in Virginia. That's how Trump rolls, of course. But the governor-elect kept Trump at arm's length, didn't invite him to campaign, didn't mention him, though ads from his Democratic opponent always did. So the question is, are Republicans beginning to edge away from Trump? More now from my conversation with USA Today's Jill Lawrence. Here's a question for you. How is it that Republicans uh, automatically claim victory in Virginia while still continuing to question the 2020 vote? I suppose, well, if I win, it was a fair election. But if uh, I lose, well, obviously it was a rigged and a fake vote. Well, that's a real problem, and I, I'm not sure many Republicans see the irony of it. Um, it, it. This is a party that needs to focus on expanding its appeal to diverse demographics, and it, it's astonishing to me that they're actually not doing badly at that. You know, last year in Florida, they expanded their Latino share of the vote. This year in Virginia, I believe the exit polls showed that they got 30 uh, percent of the black vote, which is a lot more than uh, many Republicans get. So, uh, you know, that this is what they need to do. And I, I think in this particular week, actually, um, they were helped by a lot of the larger environment. Uh, you know, the Democrats have not managed to pass Biden's agenda on the Hill yet. I'm confident they will, but they haven't done it yet. So there was nothing to brag about, including roads and bridges, which uh, are very important in Northern Virginia. Yep. Um, they just approved at the CDC the vaccine for kids, five to 11. COVID vaccine. So that is starting already. But uh, up until now, some parents have been very nervous about their kids catching COVID. And so, you know, this will make schools safer, it will make kids safer. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things left to be resolved from the pandemic to the supply chain to lingering economic problems. And so the environment uh, was probably not hospitable to Democrats. And I don't think they focused on that enough. The, the other thing that really came to the fore in Virginia was parents' rights when it came to schools. And I'm not sure how much of that was really hardcore. We don't want critical race theory taught to our kids, or we don't want race, race history taught at all to our kids versus where parents in the schools have been opening and closing and closing and opening. And, you know, it's very it, chaotic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been tough.
Now let's hear about another Evergreen podcast that I know you'll enjoy. Did you know virtually all vessels traveling in the U.S. have to be American-built, owned, and crewed? That's thanks to the Jones Act, which is the bedrock of the American maritime industry. On the American Maritime Podcast, we cover the topics that matter most to the 650,000 men and women of American maritime, while also being accessible for the average listener to learn about this industry. Every episode features a new guest, including congressional leaders, senior military officials, leading policy analysts, and other experts. Come aboard and listen wherever you get your podcasts or watch on the American Maritime Partnership's YouTube channel. Welcome back. I'm Paul Brandis, and you're listening to West Wing Reports from Washington. Let's open up now the history archives and take a look at what made news this week in the past. In 1800, John Adams became the first president to live in the president's house, known, of course, today as the White House. I've sent the following wire to President Truman. My heartiest congratulations to you on your election and every good wish for a successful administration. I urge all Americans to unite behind you in support of every effort to keep our nation strong and free and to establish peace in the world. 1948, New York Governor Thomas Dewey conceding defeat to President Harry Truman in the presidential election. Now, it wasn't supposed to be that way. Dewey was the heavy favorite. It turned out to be one of the biggest upsets in American history. You might remember Truman laughing as he held up that newspaper with a botched headline. It said, Dewey defeats Truman. Here's a funny story about this. I'll bet you've never heard this one. Dewey was so confident of winning that he told his wife, Frances, to go out and buy some fancy new lingerie. He told her, you're going to be sleeping with the president of the United States. Well, the morning after Truman's shocking upset win, Mrs. Dewey asked her husband, so is Harry coming here or am I going to the White House? But two years later, it was anything but funny. Outside Blair House, the president's temporary Washington home, extreme fanatics of the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party try to force their way in, guns blazing to assassinate the president of the United States. The president was living in Blair House across from the White House, which was being renovated. He saw the attack from his window until a passerby told him to duck. One gunman was killed, another wounded, but not before they killed a Secret Service officer, Leslie Kofelt. If you visit Blair House today, there's a plaque honoring him on the spot where he fell, giving his life to save the president's. I'd like to end each week with a quote, something you might find thoughtful. This week it's from John Quincy Adams, our sixth president and son of our second president. John Quincy Adams said, quote, Always vote for principle, though you may vote alone, unquote. Think about it. Want more history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you, too. Just shoot me an email. Brandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. That's P-B-R-A-N-D-U-S. Brandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. And need a speaker for your event, by the way, I do that, too. Current events, economics, analysis, history, I connect the dots. Would love to hear from you. 
Special thanks to C-SPAN for the audio clips. West Wing Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer, sound designer, and engineer wearing three hats, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.